0: I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Hello. Hello. <laughs> this week on Pop It, we had a chance to speak with Kirsten Amon, who goes by Kitty. Isn't that so cute? I love it. Uh, she's the author of Drinking Like Ladies. And during her book signing at Shimjung in Worcester, Kirsten donated her proceeds from the evening to Girls Inc., a local organization that equips girls to navigate gender, economic, and social barriers, and grow into healthy, educated, and independent women.
1: I love it. I used to swim at Girls Inc. when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, so did I. I was telling them that because I went on to swim in college and um swimming was just such a huge part of my educational success my success in growth as a woman and I said to them you know I used to swim in your pool when I was little and go to Camp Kinneywood. it was like a stepping stone certainly I have a lot of good memories so I was excited to see that another generation of girls would be supported by what we were doing. Speaking of supporting girls, you know, this is a podcast that we started because we wanted to elevate women's voices. And we talk a lot about women's professional culture, local culture, pop culture, but through the lens of being millennial women. And um, we have had 33% growth in downloads in the last month.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah. And we've really been leaning into kind of the feminist angle and focusing on women and people like it. Yes. And it's kind of like, I
1: mean, it's it's a natural thing for us. And I think at first we were just trying to find our footing as far as the show went. And I think now that we have sort of like come up with that and been like, let's, let's just like double down on it. It's been
0: easy. Did you see that article by I think it was Melissa Hansen who did it for Mass Live and it yes. highlighted a bunch of strong women in the city yesterday? Yeah, Business owners, yeah, that was really neat. Our friend AJ Sotaro, yeah, a lot of our friends are yes. on there, yeah. And I was excited to see Amy Chase. Yep. I know she is the face of a lot. A, lot. a female entrepreneurial spirit in the city, but she has a brand new project. So it was pretty cool to see her out there, and we went and visit her this morning at the haberdash in Worcester. Yes, I know. I think that's so smart. We were talking about it, and like her original mobile business that was featured everywhere. It was on the Today Show. It was in the New York Times. She was one of the first mobile marketplaces. And she has kept the same name for her booth at Crompton Collective, which is now a beautiful boutique upstairs in the former home of a salon. Yes. And it's, it's, it is gorgeous. Yeah. And it's so the one in Hudson is more of a gift shop. And this is really focused on high-end women's clothing, tons of stuff. Beautiful yeah. things. <laughs> oh, my God. She just has the same sensibilities, like the same taste that I do. So I yes. walked in. I said, I want all of well, this. Then- yeah, I
1: started pointing at stuff and
0: being like, Sarah, you should get this, too. Like, <laughs> whoops. She called it her other shop's fancier older sister. Yep. hmm And I can totally sense. see it. Yes. And I guess that her landlord, Dino LaRusso, who is, he oversees everything there, you know, he's mm-hmm. always everywhere. Uh, And what a successful man, but he's always like fixing things and he's hands on. And I love that. That is awesome. And he had called her and said like, hey, the salon upstairs is not renewing their lease. And I was wondering if you know anyone that wants to open a salon. And she said, I want it. I want it. I want it to be my my newest haberdash, you know. And she took the space for herself. And now it is something to be seen. I hope everyone gets a chance to go in there. Yeah, I love that. She just jumped right in. Mm Mm-hmm. And I asked her too, like, were you afraid in the Amazon age to delve into another retail project? And she said, no, I use Amazon when I want like toothpaste overnighted to me or things that aren't fun to shop for. And she said, my shop is all about having fun and having an experience. And you can't do that on Amazon. Yeah. And it
1: really is because she, like I pointed out, the, like the couch in there, so cozy, just the vibe. Um yeah. Yeah, definitely. Botanical. Yes, there's like there's cool stuff hanging from the ceilings. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're having a great
0: time. You feel like you're very welcome to browse their wares. <laughs> so, Molly, I was hoping for a little bachelor recap yes. because I know a woman found her voice on the air. Yeah, that's been it's funny, um,
1: on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, this is something that tends to happen is someone will be, well, someone will all of a sudden become very serious and go to talk about a very serious thing. And normally it's something that's sort of dealt with in a funny way where they'll get really serious and then The Bachelor or The Bachelorette will be like, wow, like this has made you a better person and moves on. It, the show just moves on in a sort of like odd, superficial way. And it, it's always a little bit uncomfortable. And so this week it they actually kind of avoided that, which was nice. But um. Kaylin is one of the contestants. She's Miss North Carolina. She has had, she's been part of a like fairly benign, ambiguous feud with one of the other contestants on the show, Hannah B., um, because they were both beauty queens. But um, coming into it, uh, well, anyways, I wouldn't have expected what basically unfolded to unfold from what I had seen from her. And she had a one on one date with Colton, and she basically, talked about a sexual assault that she had experienced in college. And it was pretty graphic. Um, she was drugged and raped by members of a fraternity um, who then took photos of her body and disseminated them like on, like on, you know, different channels. And she was very disheartened and disillusioned because she basically went to police. She went to her school And she went to the hospital and was not taken seriously and was not, um, given any proper care or, or justice, um, for what happened to her. And so she was very guilty and you know, she felt that sense that I think a lot of survivors of assault and sexual assault, sexual violence feel where she felt guilt and she felt startled by sexual advances after that. And so... Instead of doing that weird thing where Colton, like the bachelor or something says, oh, like, wow, I just like see you in a new light as like a stronger person. Colton really kind of um, he took her seriously and he explained that like sexual assault and sexual violence is something that he takes really seriously and that he had an ex-girlfriend who was a survivor of sexual assault. And at first it's funny, I was thinking about it and I was like, uh... You probably shouldn't just like air that on TV, but I realized that the person he was talking about was Allie Raisman. He de- dated Allie Raisman briefly, who was the U.S. USA gymnast who's now become a crusader. Um, she was a survivor of sexual assault by the doctorate at Michigan State University. Um,
0: and he was, was also the doctor for the Olympic team? For the Olympic team, yeah, for the U.S. Olympic
1: team. for um, And then for all, any anyone who went through the program at Michigan State, they have a very
0: prominent... Um, gymnastics program and if you haven't watched her amazing testimony it's it's worth a watch and so and that's you know that's
1: a sign that like it wasn't just colton saying that to sort of you know comfort or make anyone feel better i think he i think he did really take it seriously uh, but yeah he he really made it clear that he like welcomed her discussing that and that he took what happened to her seriously, but also just like takes sexual violence seriously on a larger scale. But I kept going back to in her story when she talked about being really disappointed by basically the authorities around her. And, you know, she was in college and I think she was adult age at that point, but the adults in the situation. And I know, Sarah, you've written a lot recently um, about specifically about Holy Cross, but about failures of Title IX and failures of um, some of the people in charge to reckon with that sexual violence.
0: Yeah. And I set out to write more of an overview of Title IX for this week's cover story of Worcester Magazine. And I had groups of survivors who came forward and that became the lens through which I really saw the story. It, it I don't know. The more personal anything like that becomes, the harder it is to tell the story in a way that's truly informative. And so Just to boil it down to some statistics that I think are pretty meaningful, I was shocked. There's this Department of Justice study from 2014 that says only 20% of female students age 18 to 24 who experience sexual violence actually report to law enforcement. And that was the question I started to ask myself a lot. Why go to Title IX rather than to the police? And the article was about pushing higher education institutions to just destigmatize students from reporting sexual assault at all, sexual misconduct, and clearly define inappropriate behavior, especially between professors and students, but also in the community of students themselves. And the Title IX process is challenging, right? And it's flawed. It's, um, it seems like
1: it's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of loop, uh, not loophole, sorry, um, jumping through hoops is what I was looking for. A lot of jumping through hoops for the victim, which seems like that's not the right way to approach it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I would say even more so if you go through the criminal justice system, and that's why a lot of these... People choose Title IX because they say there's a gradation of needs for victims, and sometimes I know we mentioned this last week, but you maybe don't want your rapist incarcerated, but you do need them off campus right. for you to finish your degree. Yes, and it's such a personal situation that everybody has a different set of needs,
1: right? Like what and what does justice mean in like person to person and case to case in a situation like that?
0: Yeah. So as I got closer and closer to the story, I was so lucky to be introduced to the organization Know Your Nine. And there was this really wonderful woman named Alyssa Peterson. And the group itself has been around since 2013. They've testified five times before the United States Senate. They're authorities on the subject of Title IX. She was explaining to me that oftentimes if you have a civil rights option, as opposed to a very punitive criminal process Mm -hmm. that can sometimes be abusive to the victims in going through the process and re-traumatize the victims, a lot of people just, you know, they opt for Title IX instead of going to the police. Sometimes Title IX cases have a much higher rate of incapacitated assault because perpetrators will weaponize alcohol or drugs, like you mentioned in the case of the girl from The Bachelor. And then those survivors are the least likely to have their cases prosecuted or taken seriously by law enforcement. And that's why they would go to Title IX.
1: I'm at a loss for words.
0: So we talked last week about Betsy DeVos and her putting forth some new recommendations and it going through a public comment period. And I guess 85,000 comments and and counting were recorded uh, after the 60-day comment period, which is pretty remarkable. And like, the, the recommendations from Betsy DeVos are estimated to have a cost savings of $286.4 million to $367.7 million over 10 years. But, like, you have to think that that comes at a cost, right? So, right, like, at what cost to the people? It narrows the definition of sexual harassment, and the changes effectively expand the rights of the accused. So then I started to think, well, like, how many people really are falsely accused? it looks like it's 5% of rape allegations are found to be false yep. but when we think back that 95% of these college students are not reporting their rape victimization then you have to think that like it's actually much less than 5% are false right. accusations As if you take into account right exactly that's only
1: those statistics are based only on reported assaults right so there's no way it's i would guess that the volume of assault is much higher, like you like you said, that, the, that then the proportion of false accusations gets way lower.
0: Yeah. And that comes out of a Joanne Belknap study from the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I don't know. It was a tricky one for me. And then the news started to come out that Holy Cross had put one professor in particular on administrative leave. Yep. And so please feel free, keep up with these stories. Yes. They're all on Worcester Magazine. I was about to say, Worcester Magazine. Yeah, we're following it really closely. And I'll, I'll be the first to say, I on numerous occasions have called my editor, Walter Bird, and said, Walter I can't I can't keep covering this you know this isn't my full-time job I'm not an investigative reporter and he said Sarah you are doing a great job and how the hell do you think you get experience you write the stories so they've had a big legal team backing me and making sure that we go through everything with a fine-tooth comb he's been really helpful but it's I I mean it's emotionally taxing too well more so for the victims I just keep thinking their stories are out there and and it's just gotta be, make you feel so vulnerable. Right. And the more it's, it's, right, it's tricky because it's like the more you read, I try
1: to expose myself to as much, much of those stories as I can. But there has to be a point where then you're like, I have to look away from this for a minute, not because someone's not legitimate or someone, you know, whatever, anything like that, but because it's just humanity isn't necessarily built to constantly be exposed to that kind of right. trauma.
0: There's a juxtaposition too of me being an educator during the day, and I have to say, it was Thursday night. I went to bed and I was really distraught. And I said to my fiance, "I said I'm done. I don't want to write anymore. You know, this has been so exhausting and just it's it's really stressful. And I'm done. I don't want to write anymore." And I woke up and I had a letter in my mailbox at school from a former student of mine who is a senior in high school now. And it made me cry. I'm like sitting at my desk crying, but it said, Miss um, Connell, you know, I did NaNoWriMo with you, National Novel Writing yep. Month. And you and I, we were going to write a novel in a month and I tried to give up. And she said, I looked back at some emails recently and you said, you have to keep going. You have to be confident in yourself and you have to keep telling your story. And she said, I'm so glad that I did. And I just, oh God, the timing couldn't have been better. I was like, I really need to hear that. Don't give up on your writing. Be confident in yourself i said it that's the advice i gave so i need to take it for myself to you it's a boomerang yeah i love that that was really special that is really (laughs) special and i think that it's
1: true you do have to keep writing yes (laughs) Uh,
0: yeah Um, i'm gonna stick with it yes so i guess uh, speaking of writers we have these beautiful books yes where's my book there's books Oh yes (laughs) Drinking like ladies Yeah, modern cocktails from the world's leading female bartenders So it's a profile of a whole bunch of different amazing women from history Many of whom I've never heard of which is really cool All these female bartenders came up with cocktails in their honor
1: I really love this Princess Diana one Um, If you know me at all (laughs) I am really into Princess Diana and her family (laughs) My aunt Cindy got me an apron a couple months ago for that commemorated Meghan Markle and Harry's wedding. So I love Diana. But this also features some of my favorite things, which is English breakfast tea infused Bombay Sapphire gin, which I am a big gin. I like gin drinks in general. I love tea and I like what Stephanie Carr, who is the creator of this, wrote... It's strong like Diana. She wore a stunning blue sapphire ring and had beautiful blue eyes. Blue is her color. Um, And who could forget her blue eyeliner? And that that sapphire ring, that beautiful big sapphire ring is the ring that um, Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, wears now, William's wife. But so it's like a perfect, the the Bombay sapphire, it's a perfect match for her. But yes, I love, I want to drink this drink. So Sarah, it has egg whites in it. I hope that you know how to correctly mix them up for me.
0: Well, in the <laughs> interviews that follow, I got to talk to Sarah, who's behind the bar at Shim Jung, and I asked her, because she made me an egg white drink that night, and I said, how long do you have to shake this for? She said, double shake, but... Sounds good, Sarah. Yeah. I think a lot of man... Oh, not manpower, Woman power yeah. goes into that egg arm power. Yeah. yeah, you gotta really um, give watched. it a good shake. I watched Sarah at, at
1: Shimjung. She's especially, like vigorous with her shaking she's really good that's good when you're drinking an egg you want to make sure absolutely it's funny because i don't know if it's just i've seen her um serving more often or what but i can like picture her shaking and she can like she'll (laughs) talk to you through it too it's awesome i think i need to grab a copy of this make sure i uh get going on my on my drinking like ladies bartending skills I think so. We should probably have a,
0: a little Drinking Like Ladies gathering, yes. I would say. Oh, yes. Good idea, Sarah. Yes. Pop it, Drinking Like Ladies. <sighs> Love it. So we're about to skip ahead to our evening at Shimjong. Molly was working. I was. She's a working woman. <laughs> but I got to sit and talk to the author a little bit. I also wanted to just ask, before we cut to our interviews, Yes. what's going on with Rosie this week? Similar
1: activities, activities of, you know, she's <laughs> angrily <laughs> tweeting, upset with this and that and the government and stuff but it's really nice because in between now she has her granddaughter Skylar so she's also posting pictures of the baby which is awesome but I was excited yesterday because she did a tweet that got retweeted by my buddy Chris Rock who is a comedian I love yeah I thought that was cool so I was excited about that
0: also she had a post this week on Instagram that was a photo in Worcester in the Worcester common Do you think that means she's been in the neighborhood? Well, so I don't know because Liz posted it first. Who is her fiance? Yeah, she's a Worcester cop. (laughs) She was posing with an ice sculpture of, was it of Tom Brady? I think it was either of Tom or of Edelman on the Common. And then all of a sudden it popped up on Rosie's Instagram and I said, Molly. Is she nearby? Very possible that she took the photo and that Liz posted it first. We
1: don't know. So it is it is very possible that that's the case. Well, never fear, Rosie, but we will find you. <laughs> Rosie, come on, pop it. Hashtag Rosie, come on, pop it. We're
0: coming for you. All right. Well, without further ado, yes. enjoy our chatting with the women of Shim Jung, Kirsten Amon, the author of Drinking Like Ladies, and also some of the leaders from Girls Inc. Yes, enjoy mass foodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food centric person when asking yourself where to eat tonight turn to massfoodies.com to see what's happening in the massachusetts food scene that's massfoodies.com
3: Can you introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. So cheers. First things first, cheers. Um, So my name is uh, Kirsten Amen. My nickname is Kitty, so my friends call me Kitty. Um, And I'm here tonight in a couple capacities, but um, we're promoting my recently published book called Drinking Like Ladies. Now, how does a bartender go about landing a book deal? Well, uh, patience and fortitude. (laughs) Um, So like many bartenders, um, I got my start in the industry with many passions, one of which was writing. So since when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a writer. And I thought they always teach you in um, school when you're studying writing to write what you know. Uh, So soon enough, when I decided I wanted to start getting freelance writing credits, I started writing about cocktails. And that coincided perfectly with the launch of, like, the cocktail craze in, like, the 2000s, late 2000s, um, and led to me writing a blog, which is when blogs were big. <laughs> and then from there, I just happened I was also working in publishing at the time. That was my first job out of college. Um, and a good friend of mine was, is, it continues to be a visionary, and she was like, oh, these columns that you and your friend are writing, we are writing a column about cocktails and women's history, and she thought they would be a great idea for a book. And we said, okay, and wrote a book proposal, and she coached us through the whole thing. Started pitching it in 2007, got rejected in 2007, got rejected in 2010, got rejected in 2012. That's how writing works. You just keep trying. Yes, on and on and on. So, um, And then one day, quite by accident, um, I was checking an email that I never check anymore. And then, lo and behold, there was an email from an interested publisher who'd seen our old blog and was really interested in whether or not this would be a good book idea. And we were like, as a matter of fact, we agree. <laughs> that must have been the best feeling. It was the most bizarre and surreal feeling. Um, and in fact, it was, it was one of those things where we had had so many kind of false starts. Um, really great editors around the country that supported the project, but just couldn't sell it to their publishing boards and things like that. So when I, you know, my, my co-author and I, like, didn't really tell anybody at first. I, like, didn't tell my mom until I had a contract, you know, like this kind of thing. And then when it finally came out, I was like, oh, by the way, guys, we wrote a book. (laughs) That's so exciting. Now, what are we drinking here? You brought me this petite little mug.
0: It's adorable.
3: Cheers. Yes. So actually, the mug is filled with Egan's whiskey, um, Egan's Irish whiskey, which is a brand that I work with. So right now, I actually don't bartend anymore. I work as a consultant. So it's kind of a, an interesting thing when you tell people you're a cocktail consultant or a beverage consultant because it sounds like we just party all the time. <laughs> um, but enough time in the beverage industry, will teach you a lot about sales and marketing. And so that's what I do professionally now. And Egan's Irish Whiskey is one of my brands. So um, this is our vintage grain. It is mostly corn with a little bit of malted barley. So it's mostly corn, a little bit of malted barley. It's a grain I call it a single grain whiskey, which is sort of a new type of um, expression of whiskey that's coming out of Ireland right now. The Egan's family has been making whiskey since 1852 and they've just started exporting to the US since 2016 and I'm proud to be there, actually recently promoted to being their national um, US brand ambassador here in the country.
0: Well, as a woman of whiskey, it makes sense that you've written the book that you have. What is the title, and who are some of your favorite women that you learned about in writing the book?
3: So there's so many. So the title is Drinking Like Ladies. It is 75 cocktails from the world's leading female bartenders. So the women that we wrote about, um, some of the most inspiring, I have to mention Ruby Nell Bridges. She is the first little girl to desegregate the public schools in New Orleans. Um, So little Ruby was only six years old in 1960 when she crossed a huge picket line of angry people that did not want uh, desegregation in New Orleans. So it was a really moving story. It was a hard story to read and write about. It was one of those that took me like two hours to write about because I was just like crying and it was like so sad Um, because it was so recent. You know, my parents were alive then and things like that. And then the drink, but I was also working with an amazing bartender who was then based in New Orleans and she chose to work with Egan's for that cocktail. So it's very special to me in a lot of different ways. And the drink has Egan's whiskey, it has Spanish dry vermouth, um, ginger liqueur, absinthe rinse, uh, some thyme and lemon. So she was looking to use all kinds of different influences that were important in New Orleans culture. So she kind of covered a lot of bases with that drink. Well, I know
0: you mentioned you went to Tales of the Cocktail not too long ago, so you must be well acquainted with New Orleans.
3: Yes, yes, I love Tales. It's been this is my I think ninth year going, so it's always my favorite. It's such a like fantastic festival and a unique experience and I just look forward to it. And I love New Orleans. I recommend to anybody listening get yourself down there. It's definitely a bucket list place. (laughs) And that's a great kind of state of the industry. And where are we at in terms of women's positions in the industry? Yeah, sure. So I actually, um, so women, I I have a seminar that I do in conjunction with a couple of other bartenders um, where we talk about the history of female bartenders from early colonial period on. So it's an interesting question that we get asked a lot um, because most of throughout history in the bar, as in many fields, women were always there, right? So the bar might've been helmed by a man, like for example, in colonial Massachusetts, um, women couldn't own property, so they would work at a place owned by their dad, right? Or by the, um, a widowed woman would own a bar. But she would still be bar-owning and part of the culture, a very important part of the culture. And then throughout history, over time, women have had, like, very different roles in the bar. They've just never been spoken about. When I mean, you see this also in STEM and, like, all kinds of, it's one of those things that we saw over and over when we were writing the book. You know, you get kind of tired of it. <laughs> so one thing that I'm super excited about now is that we have more visibility, Um, I would say that women across the country are really championing each other. I don't know if you've heard of Speed Rock. Uh, the all uh, it's all women's speed bartending competition. It was started by uh, two friends of mine, Lynette Marrero and Ivy Mix, and they've done a tremendous amount. It's it, it's a speed bartending competition. They turn bartending into a sport. It's invigorating, exciting. You'll have to come. But what they've done is they've created like a national network for women of all levels bartending. So it's been really, really great to see pro- programs like that and people just really kind of trying to lift each other up and having mentorship be part of it.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming to our beautiful city of Worcester, and good luck on the rest of your book tour.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to meet you. Cheers.
0: Hello, Sarah. Hi. How is the event going this evening, and how have you fared as a woman working in the service industry?
4: Well, we're having a lot of fun so far. We're trying some really awesome new spirits. The cocolero has really been a hit. I think it's just something really unique that a lot of people have never tried with all the botanicals and that crazy, funky vibe. So it's been really fun. And some of these cocktails are amazing. So the
0: one with Ben Affleck is an egg white drink. How long do you have to shake it for?
4: Um, you do have to give it a double shake. So we, we use a method called a dry shake, essentially. It's a flip. Um, basically, what that entails is uh, shaking the cocktail first with no ice. So just to get that beautiful froth from the egg white and then just giving it a quick shake right after with some ice just to chill the drink down and give you a nice cool uh, cocktail. So. And you helped open Shemdone, right? Yeah, that was, it seems like yesterday, but it's almost been a year now. Which is When's great. the big anniversary? February, mid-February, somewhere right in there, I think. Time does
0: fly, huh? And then how long have you been working in the service industry?
4: I've been in the service industry for almost... 12, 13 years now? It's also, doesn't seem like it should have been that
3: long.
0: <laughs> Kitty was just saying that it could be a bit of an uphill battle, but the women have always been there. They were the ones making the beer and everything in between. You know, I generally find
4: that the industry itself is so supportive, um, which is really great. I think especially the craft cocktail mixology world, if you will, um, primarily had been dominated by men. There's a very male culture surrounding cocktails, but I think women are really coming forward and kind of putting their names out there and putting their um, ideas out there. And what's really cool about that is you're coming up with a different type of creativity just from a woman's perspective. um, And that I think is reflected through a lot of really cool cocktails, and that's kind of something I really love about this book that we're featuring tonight is you get to not only see like the creative genius from all these amazing women bartenders, but also just how they affiliate with these incredible women of history and how that all comes together. So you can just kind of, just from that itself, you can see the passion that women can put into their cocktails, and I think that's really cool. So it's just been a really cool experience. I think overall, um, like I said, from the industry you get a lot of support. I think putting yourself out there as a female bartender to be taken seriously sometimes can be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, I think I get a lot of questioning my knowledge or assuming that um, I don't know what I'm talking about. I get taught things a lot that I you know, don't need to be taught. Um, I actually had a guest, just to give you an example, a couple of weeks ago who tried to explain to me that scotch was not a whiskey. And so we got into a little bit of a, <laughs> a verbal uh, disagreement, if you will. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> but, you know, um, I think generally what's, what's uh, kind of the twist on that is, you know, as people in the hospitality service industry, you know, we take those opportunities not to be combative or be patronizing, but instead to kind of flip that and turn it into kind of an educational activity um, or opportunity rather, take that time to introduce the guest to your knowledge and what you do know. And I've generally found that, you know, unfortunately, I kind of have this feel of having to prove my worth or prove my knowledge. But once we get there, it's totally fine. So um, I think that's probably the biggest challenge I've faced as a female bartender. But overall, I would say it's just been a really, really fun collaborative experience.
0: I don't mean to pigeonhole you as a, a female bartender, you know what I mean? Because in this city, you are one of the most respected bartenders. Oh,
4: that's so sweet. Thank you.
0: But there's one really unique fact about you that I'd like to end with. You're allergic to alcohol. I am
4: allergic to alcohol. What's the the deal? And how
0: does that contribute to your worth as a bartender?
4: Yeah, so I think a lot of... Totally. I mean, it's a valid question, right? Because if you have an allergy to alcohol... um, I actually get a lot of pretty funny responses about this. So the most popular is like, well, how do you know what you're making? Which is a very fair question that that I'll definitely address. Um, And I think the... um, Other general kind of thing that I've actually encountered is that people actually think that I'm a recovering alcoholic, which I am not. I literally cannot consume or process alcohol. And it's not types of alcohol. People generally think, well, can you drink vodka? Can you not drink whiskey? It's not the type of alcohol. It's literally the sugar that your body metabolizes Um, that I cannot metabolize. So that offers me a really unique perspective as a bartender because one, I do taste all the drinks. Um, I do think that is absolutely valid. I should know what's on my palate before I give it to a guest. And I would like to know for sure and verify that it's a good, tasty, creative cocktail. Um, But I also work really heavily off aroma. And I think that is severely understated in the world of drinking. Um, Because if you think about putting a drink up to your face, you actually are smelling the drink before you even take it in. And actually what people think is their first taste is generally their first smell of what they're putting, you know, close to their, their mouth. That's fascinating. And so before it even hits your tongue, you already have an idea of what's about to happen. And then if that taste on your tongue takes you in a completely different direction, that's just even more to think about when you are kind of working through this drink, if you will, or enjoying this drink and so i really work off of that aroma palette that kind of taking in the sense like what is that doing to my senses where is this taking me what vibes am i picking up um and i think that's really understated you get a lot out of aroma more than you'd think so that's definitely my unique take on that thank you sarah and enjoy the rest of your
0: shift i'm sorry to pull you away no, it's
4: okay this is great i got to sit down for a little bit so <laughs> thank you thanks sarah
0: MassFoodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food-centric person. When asking yourself where to eat tonight, turn to MassFoodies.com to see what's happening in the Massachusetts food scene. That's MassFoodies.com. Hello, so we're here at Shim Jung this evening at a fundraiser for Girls
5: Inc., can you introduce yourself and tell us about your organization? Sure, thank you for having us. My name is Heidi Palick. I'm the Senior Director of Advancement and External Affairs at Girls Inc. of Worcester. And we are an all girls organization that serves girls from kindergarten through 12th grade here in Worcester. We're 102 years old. We're the second oldest affiliate out of the 82 affiliates in. America and Canada, and we are formally known as the Girls Club, so many of your listeners may have said, oh I went to the Girls Club, but that's, uh, that's us now as Girls in Goodwister. So I had
0: many a, a wonderful summer at Camp Kennywood, and we would start the morning at Girls Club, and then I also swam there frequently. And I went on to become a Division I swimmer. So you guys are doing something right. But it's all about positive female mentorship. What are you doing that sets you apart from other organizations and is specifically geared toward
5: girls? Sure. Um, So we are still, we still have Camp Kittywood. And most of our girls spend part of their summer there. Um, We're thrilled to be able to have such a rural facility that our girls from the city can go out and experience. Uh, We still have our swim Program. We just completed a renovation of our pool area, so we have a brand new pool. Many people will walk in and say, I remember the smell of chlorine. (laughs) Now you don't smell that because we have a great (laughs) ventilation system. Um, But Girls Inc. of Worcester really is about making sure girls are strong, smart, and bold. And I think it is. Even though we're one hundred and two years old, that message is is still as important today as it was then. And I think we remember that. Every day, we serve about a thousand girls a year in a variety of programs. What makes Girls Inc of Worcester different, I think, is our holistic approach to the girl. We look at it from academic success, making them smart in the strong, smart and bold. We look at that from a physical and mental health, making them strong. Um, And we address it in the bold, making sure that they're independent, that they have a voice and that they stick up for themselves and they're not afraid or apologetic to do that. All of our programming really is focused around STEM in the science, technology, engineering, and math. And as much as that is a buzzword in today's world, it isn't just because the there are a lot of jobs, although that is absolutely part of it. We want to make sure our girls are economically empowered And we look at some of the demographics where our girls come from. And we know that many of them have been in situations of abuse or their moms have been in situations um, or generations before them. And so as much as we want them to help shape the workforce for the future in STEM, we're also looking at it as an ability for them to take care of themselves, take care of their families, be financially independent with a good-paying job in the STEM field, so that they're not relying on an abusive partner, spouse situation, and that they feel empowered and independent enough to, to to say no to that with no apologies. So, really, our goal is 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 focused on breaking that next that cycle of poverty, but doing it with some very clear. Um, measurable um, input on where there's good-paying jobs in society and using that from kindergarten through 12th grade so that's what makes Girls Inc. different.
0: I think those passions have not been fostered in in young girls for far too long and actually I my day job is I'm a a teacher and I'm the media specialist, so STEM is my thing, you yeah. know?
5: Excellent, oh my goodness, absolutely. So you can imagine um, making sure that girls are, um, you know, have the technology, making sure that they are comfortable with using the technology. You know, there's some statistics out there that once they hit middle school, the the divide between boys and girls grows greater um, in the areas of science and math. The reality is they get the same grades as boys. They're just lacking the confidence to say, I'm going to keep doing this. They become shy or embarrassed to give the right answer in class. I hear um, often from teachers that I know that they just wish the girls would raise their hand and give the answer. They're, they see at that middle school level that they tend to shy, pull back and not want to be the smart kid or not want to show up the boys because they're afraid they won't be. Popular or liked, if they're too smart. We need to change that. And so in our um, organization, we start when they're as early as kindergarten, and we tell them it's absolutely appropriate and right them to speak up and and share their answers and know that they can do that. So we're excited about what the future holds with the girls that we're involved with. Well I have
0: to tell you that is such a breath of fresh air and I am so glad our city has a tremendous resource like Girls Inc. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Oh it's
5: my pleasure. Thank you for having us. Oh, hello, Erin Jansky. Welcome back to Pop
0: It. Hi, Sarah. Can you get nice and close? It's It's wonderful to be here. So we are here tonight supporting Girls, Inc., and I know you are a really avid active member of YWPA can you tell me what that is yeah YPWA
1: Young
2: Professional Women's Association of Worcester yeah it's an amazing networking group for women in the city so if you want to make awesome business connections meet new friends hang out um, it's a great organization Membership is really inexpensive, they host a ton of events around the city all year round um, and it's just a great a great place to meet people and, you know, feel the empowerment of women.
0: Well, the Girls Inc. folks were just saying how important it is to have mentors and have a real tribe and network of people. It sounds like you've built that. When is your next event? So, I know they have an event coming up next, I want to say
2: Tuesday, but if you follow them on Facebook, YPWA, on Facebook, um, or Instagram, and or Instagram, all of the things, LinkedIn as well, you'll see all of their events. They have a couple things coming up in February, um, but it's a great group to be a part of and to join and um, hang out, meet new people, and support your fellow women. Awesome. Well, we can't wait. Yes. No problem.
0: The yeah. Casey, welcome to Pop It. You turned out for this event tonight that is in support of female bartenders and also Girls Inc. What are you doing right now to contribute to women in the community?
2: Most recently, I actually did volunteer with with Girls Inc., Um, but also in my profession, I'm part of the Women's Success Network at CVS. I'm on the marketing committee there. I'm in charge of making sure our uh, employees are informed and engaged. Most recently, and they're a Rhode Island company. But um, I'm from Worcester, so I have to bring it locally. Um, I, When I go to my local CVS, I'm always encouraging the colleagues there. So they're not as um, informed as probably the, the corporate employees. They don't have time. They're retail employees. Um, so most recently, I just went in there the other day, and I'm telling the girl, I'm like, have you heard of our Women's Success Network? You need to join. There's so many you know, opportunities, connections, mentors. They have different educational opportunities, things like that. So just trying to get the message out there any way I can. That's wonderful. And you grew up in
0: the area, correct? Yes, born and raised. Well, I'm so glad that you made it out to the event tonight. And you're also involved in the organization Aaron was just talking about, right? Yes, the YPWA. I'm a member. Yep, Erin enticed me to join that. And so you guys like meet up every month and do something fun.
2: Yeah, there's always great uh, events, connecting people from Worcester and, you know, ar- around the area. Last week, we just had an event at playground in the Webster Square area Um, so it's just really nice to connect with other professionals and you know it's it's hard you know everybody's got their own lives their own things to do but it's nice to to get involved and engage with people who are in a similar situation as you other professionals just you know not just for networking purposes but just say like this happened at work or that you know all different things. Support
0: as well. Yeah, it's tough to meet other people that are facing the same problems as you, as a woman in the workplace, but doing a totally different job. Are you that work? I'm not yet, but I keep hearing really good things. When are you gonna Do I have to start at the beginning of the year, or can I join
2: anytime? You can join anytime. And there are there might be some discounts if you join later in the year, if you join midway, but you didn't hear that from me. All right, this is
0: this is a hot tip right here. Can you just say your full name and your role at? Caremark. Yes, I'm Casey
5: Clancy. I'm an account manager at CBS Caremark.
0: I'm Sarah Connell.
6: Oh, I'm Derek Rims.
0: No, you're supposed to say I'm Molly O'Connor. Oh, Molly O'Connor. <laughs> and you're listening to Pop It. No, well, hello, Derek. It's so nice to hear your voice. And we were just discussing all of the amazing events that you've been organizing to really bring the service industry together. Are there any big ones coming up?
6: Yeah, actually, uh, February 11th, that's a Monday, we have a tasting with St. George Spirits at Volterno Pizza at 2 p.m. So it's in the the private room. It's gonna be free pizza, free alcohol. Uh, Yeah, it's gonna be a good time.
0: Oh, man, I'm gonna sneak it.
6: Yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, I wouldn't even. Don't even bother sneaking. Just show up. I was like, yeah, it's fine. Cool.
0: Well, I know you're behind the bar tonight, but I have one more question. Sure. We are celebrating women and girls. Girls Inc is here, and there's this awesome book drinking like ladies. You have two very special ladies in your life, right? I, you just I, got engaged, and you're gonna have a stepdaughter. Yeah. Moving forward, how are you gonna be a great stepdad to a little girl?
6: Um, not come home drunk ever. Um, that's in this
3: industry. Yeah. Um,
6: I mean, just kind of letting her grow into her own person, and not trying to like, not trying to force her into like any kind of any kind of box. Like letting her be her own person, letting her know that it's okay that she wants to play with G.I. Joe's or if she wants to play with dolls or if she wants to go play in the mud or be a princess, like it doesn't make a difference. You know, she can be whoever the hell she wants to be. And I'm still gonna love her just the same. And I know her mother feels the same the same way as well. So um, and it's nice that it's nice we're starting to see more like more strong female roles and strong female leads coming into like the service industry and, and other other industries, but uh, yeah, it's nice to see it's nice to see strong women coming in and doing their thing. Like Kitty has been a friend of mine for years, and um, she's always been like very, very, very. I keep I keep saying strong, and I'm like I feel like I'm just repeating myself a hundred times, but she's always just been a presence. You know, she's one of the foremost female bartenders in the world. and She's just the most humble, nicest human being. You could ever hope to be and then that girl is
0: electric she walked over here and i was like oh my goodness she's got green hair she's got a sparkling personality and she's like a magnet people wanted to talk to her all night
6: yeah oh yeah she's great um so much fun just like incredibly incredibly positive incredibly good for just the industry in general because she accepts you know all all aspects of it you know she's like should we be doing, like, Red Bull and Cocholero shots tonight? I was like, no, 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 I'm probably not here. But, you know, maybe, like, maybe we'll go to the pint afterwards, and that'll definitely be a thing. And, uh, yeah, her book's her book's great. I got bought it for Tina for Christmas. Um,
0: I bought a copy for myself and then also for Joy Flanagan.
6: Nice. Where's Joy tonight?
0: I think she'll make an appearance.
6: Yeah, she better. If she doesn't show up, Joy, shame on you. All right, have a
0: good night behind the bar, Derek.
6: Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye.